0: Welcome to All Autism Talk, connecting the autism community one podcast at a time. Our podcast offers friendly conversations with inspiring individuals in the autism community. All Autism Talk is brought to you by Learn Behavioral and the Learn Provider Network. Now here's your host. Hi, everybody. Welcome to All Autism Talk. Our podcast is brought to you by Learn Behavioral, a leading ABA provider serving families across the country. I'm your host, Katherine Johnson. Carrie Hoops has been in the field of applied behavior analysis for 24 years. She's currently the clinical director for the Wisconsin Early Autism Project, or WEAP, which is part of the LEARN network. In addition to that, she's president of the Autism Society of Greater Wisconsin. This fall, the Autism Society of Greater Wisconsin partnered with WEAP to offer their community in Green Bay sensory-friendly COVID vaccine clinics, which Carrie took a step further and had her staff use an ascent-based model to provide children with a comfortable vaccine experience. Ascent-based practice is a big topic in the field right now. And what I found so exciting about this project is the potential it points to for healthcare for kids on the spectrum. Obviously, COVID vaccines and boosters have become a more frequent reality in recent years, but healthcare and shots are a regular part of our lives as parents. And if you have a nervous or a sensory sensitive kid, it can be terrifying. I loved hearing that all of this care was put into creating these clinics that reduced the anxiety of these kids and actually allowed them time to become comfortable and then empowered them to voice when they were ready for their vaccine. This whole process showed so much respect for the child and their comfort level and demonstrated how we can build this into our system of care. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Carrie. Carrie, I'm so happy to talk to you today. Me too. Thank you for meeting with me. I think that what you've done at Weep is an incredible testament to how committed you and your team are to person-centered ABA. And I'm really excited to hear more and to share this with our listeners. So let's kick this off by talking about ascent and ascent-based practice, because I think that there are probably a lot of listeners who haven't heard these terms before or maybe have heard them and are unclear about them. Can you just kind of give a brief explanation? Sure. So SEM-based
1: practice is really focusing on the child buying in to treatment or to the activity that is going to happen. And we do that by providing choices and identifying what areas they are interested in um, so that we can build rapport. And I really think first and foremost, when... I'm looking at a stem based treatment or teaching it to staff. The first most important thing is to build rapport, to look at what the child's interests are, what the child's strengths are, and to start there um, in building the relationship. And as we work to expand, that's where I see that choices choices are very helpful so that the child has a voice. And if the child doesn't want to engage in the activity, That we're letting that child have that voice and taking a step back, taking a look at the situation and seeing um, what we could do better to help the child to engage in the activity.
0: That's great. Now let's kind of like go a little bit deeper into rapport building because I think that that's such an essential part of ASCENT and ASCENT-based practice. For someone who's unfamiliar with what that might look like in applied behavior analysis, could you sort of describe what that might look like?
1: Sure. The first thing I do is with a child would be talking to the parent and identifying what are some of the high interests of that child. And then I make sure when we meet the child or start engaging with the child that we are pairing those interests with our interaction um, so that we're finding activities and topics that are of interest to the child so that we're we're paired as a positive And we work towards finding other things that the child might like and, and expanding their interests in that way.
0: So you're finding out what their favorite things are. You're engaging with those things. Like if they love dinosaurs, you're playing with dinosaurs and sort of over time, they become paired with those dinosaurs and they sort of grow to trust and like you. Is that a fair way to put it?
1: Yes, and that they know that when we're around that we do fun things that are cool that they like.
0: Mm -hmm. Here comes Carrie and all of the fun comes with her. Yes. (laughs) So let's kind of get into the meaty stuff. You spearheaded a COVID vaccine clinic that was geared towards children who are on the spectrum and you used ascent-based practices and it's been a gigantic success. How many kids in total have gotten COVID vaccines through your program? Seventy-three. We
1: did. Whoa! Didn't... Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> well, we had more though. I I was thinking that going into this, um, because we had seventy-three through the October clinic, but we just ran another clinic in November. Um, so which...
0: seventy-three plus. Yes. Amazing! Amazing! So I know this was done in partnership with the Autism Society of Greater Wisconsin and was there, and it it took place at a children's museum. Is that right?
1: Yes, we, um, we were at the children's, the
0: building for kids, um, in Appleton. In Appleton, Wisconsin. Mm -hmm, Yes. So I'd love it if you could tell us kind of just how it all worked. Um, and maybe you could start with the advanced preparation that you did, uh, and the advanced preparation that the family did. Sure. So, what did everybody do before vaccine day to set it up for success?
1: Well, before vaccine day, sign up on the website for families, and when they signed up, they filled out a form that talked about what the child's interests were, um, what their strengths were, and a past history of medical procedures. So, if there was anything that we should be aware of, if if there's if there was past trauma. The families could suggest different distraction techniques that would be helpful, as well as different supports um, that, that might work well for that vaccination. So the
0: families were suggesting maybe things that you could use to distract them. What are some of the things that they mentioned that you ended up using? Um, we use things such
1: as headphones, weighted blankets, And we had a variety of
0: fidget toys that they could pick from as well. Fidget toys, all the rage. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So they gave you a bunch of information. Did you give them anything so that they could start preparing kiddos before they headed into the clinic?
1: Yes, we had a social story um, so that they could see all step by step what was going to happen in the process. And so the families were able to read that story with their child before they came in for the clinic.
0: That's great. I want to hear in a minute how you individualized everything for each of the kids that came in. But could you kind of just walk us through a typical appointment? Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. So when children arrived, uh, they were greeted by uh, staff from Wisconsin Early Autism Project, and they were um, transitioned um, upstairs where they were able to make some choices um, based on what Band-Aid they wanted, what distraction or fidget they were looking for, and any additional supports. Then we would transition into the room with the nurse team, and in the room, we would work on Uh, building rapport with the nurse and um, having some conversation, showing the child what they were going to, what was going to happen. And then they were given the choice of if they wanted the shot blocker or the buzzy bee. And then we waited till the child agreed for uh, the shot and they were given the shot following. They were able to go eat pizza and go explore and play around the museum Oftentimes, if we didn't have other children waiting, the, was, the WEEP staff were able to go with the children and play with them um, throughout the museum after the shot.
0: That's incredible. And I know you had multiple clinicians per child. Is that right?
1: We tried to do two clinicians per child just to have a wider variety of ideas since we did not know any of these children ahead of time.
0: Got it. And what were some of the things that you individualized for each child?
1: Sure. It, it depended definitely. So each appointment was, was very different depending on the child. We would find out what they were interested in. For example, I had one child that was wearing a dinosaur shirt and we knew he liked Legos from the information that we had. So we went and quick grabbed some Legos and, built some Legos into dinosaurs and then had our dinosaurs fight each other. And eventually in that appointment, um, the nurse gave us some empty syringes, obviously without the needles, and we filled them with water and our dinosaurs were shooting each other. And so we were doing little things like that um, to catch the child's attention and start to expose them more to um, the shot and um, what what was going to happen. Other children, we... Um, I did a lot of countdowns. So let them know that I was going to count down from 30 and then we would count down and then I would pause and wait and they would say they're not ready. And then we would do it again. And we, I did a lot of countdowns and that really helped um, with the children to um, not be surprised when it was going to happen. And some children went in right away and other children, like I said, before we Um, we played around the museum, um, ahead of time to build the rapport.
0: Let's talk about that, that actual time for the shot. How did you decide when it was, time for the shot? And was there anything that you were doing, you know, sort of in there um, to help with the pain?
1: When it was time for the shot that was determined by the child. So we were very open and honest with each child that we were not going to surprise them with the shot and that we were we were going to wait for them to say it's okay.
0: So I want to ask you a quick question about the surprise element. It sounds like you were trying to really make sure that nobody was surprised by, uh, by when the shot came. And I think that that's a little bit different than uh, some pediatricians generally give shots. I know when my kids were little, they would sort of try to distract them and then quickly jab them when they, when they weren't expecting it. Why was it so important to you all to have the element of surprise just not even be a factor?
1: We wanted the children to trust us.
0: That's great. Can you say more about that?
1: So we we wanted the child to trust us um, and trust in the procedure. And um, if they knew what was going to happen and there was no element of surprise, the children were still in control and they were able to choose um, when it was happening or, or what was happening. The reason for this trust is really going to help in those future appointments so that when they go in for a shot in the future, they're going to know what to expect and that they will know, um, know when it's going to happen and that will help them to be um, more relaxed and have less stress um, paired with those appointments. And then we had two options in the room. One was a buzzy bee or it was a, a vibrating, um, we had ladybugs and, and bees, so we, but we called it a buzzy bee. So we would put that on the child's arm or leg. We also let them choose. They could choose between their arm or leg where they wanted the um, shot to be. And then we would hold the buzzy bee on that location for 30 seconds. And then um, if they chose that option, then when they were getting the shot, we would move the buzzy bee up um, just a couple of inches while they received the shot. Um, And that still helped with some of that distraction to help alleviate the pain. And then we also had um, what's called a shot blocker, and that's a little plastic um, device that has different nodes um, or different, I think nodes would be the, the right word for it. And you put that on your arm, and so there's different sensations all around your arm, and the shot goes in the middle of it. And so the idea of that is that it would distract um, from that pain sensation um, on your arm. That's
0: amazing. I'm so excited about hearing about this shot blocker. I have a child myself who has had a lot of fear of needles and I'm, I'm really excited. I really want to try this with him. How did you find these? Uh, how did you find these devices? Cause I, I haven't seen them in children's hospitals. I haven't seen them at my pediatrician's office. How did you guys find it? Find out about them? We found out about it through
1: the autism society of America. So they had, um, these resources for us
0: to try out for this vaccine clinic. That's really cool. So Carrie, is there one child in particular or a situation in particular that stands out in your mind that you'd like to share with people?
1: Yes. Um, we had one boy, I believe he was around 11 or 12 years old and he was very nervous, uh, about the shot and he, told us repeatedly that he was, um, he was afraid of, of getting the shot and he explored the museum. We figured out what, um, what he was interested in and he really liked racing. And so the technician that was working with him, she raced him around the museum and, um, they were having a great time. Um, and as we were getting closer to, To getting the shot, and we would continually talk to him about it throughout the experience, and he continued to express um, that he was afraid. Um, We brought him into a sensory room that they have at the museum, so it's a little bit lower lighting, like it's really calm environment, comfy furniture, and so we brought him into there. When we were in there, we um, had his mom get her shot, so he was able to watch. Um, He was still nervous um, and trying to escape the room. And we asked mom what was something that he would be interested in, and she mentioned WWE. So we pulled up some wrestling videos, and we hung out with him and watched some wrestling videos in the sensory-friendly room, and he, he calmed down. And then the technician that was working with him suggested a pizza eating contest because she knew he loved racing on things and he accepted that offer and they used that as a reinforcer. So they used it as an antecedent strategy and he did get his shots at 58 minutes. So he only had two minutes to spare, but he agreed to get his shot to have the pizza eating contest. Um, with the technician. And the thing that really stood out about this is we were able to work with him at the first two clinics to get his first two doses of the COVID-19 vaccine. And he came into our November 21st clinic And he got the shot, like the first two times it was within the 58 minutes. It did take the whole time. And the last one, he did it within 10 minutes, no problem. And he assented to it. So that one really stood out to me. I was really looking forward to seeing how he handled that third appointment and you could definitely see a difference. I'd like to acknowledge Haley Walker for the work that she did in supporting this child. She was a lot of fun, had a lot of energy, and really knew how to read, read the situation to help support this child.
0: That's incredible. I feel like that's really a testament to ascent-based practice and how it can really kind of alleviate those anxieties that kids have and build that trust. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to know what was the inspiration for using ascent procedures in this project.
1: We wanted to use scent based procedures because we wanted to help build a positive relationship around medical procedures or a medical procedure that is typically very frightening for children. And so that they would be able to go into future appointments without that high level of anxiety or being afraid of the appointment.
0: That's so important to hear that there is a really effective way of getting children to be able to go through these procedures and have it not be traumatic and have it set up so that the next time they come, they're even less afraid than they were the first time. I think that's incredible. What's next for you? Do you have more vaccine clinics coming up in your future?
1: We are hoping to get a grant in the future to continue vaccine clinics at the Building for Kids paired partnered with the Autism Society of Greater Wisconsin. Um, our goal would be to do more routine vaccines um, so that we could have um we could have that as an option. Um and then also with the Autism Society of Greater Wisconsin, we're really focusing on Um, an autism-friendly business initiative, and we feel like this is going hand-in-hand that we could branch off into other other areas of the medical field as well, so that we can have a cent based care uh, in other areas
0: as well. That's so incredible and so very needed. I think that it's really a wonderful example that you're setting in helping children to approach appointments and helping practitioners approach these appointments in ways that are going to encourage children to trust their practitioner and and not to avoid treatment in the future. Carrie, thank you so much for taking the time to share your story with us today. I'm really, really impressed with the success of your program. Thank you. One of the things that Carrie and I didn't discuss, but that I think is so important to share, was the community's response. They surveyed the families, and the responses were overwhelmingly positive. Parents and caregivers were really, really relieved to have been able to be a part of this and to give their child a really comfortable, non-traumatic vaccine experience. Clearly, this is not something that's available in every community. This was a project that took the caring clinicians out weep, the dedicated work of the autism society of greater Wisconsin and the use of grants, but it does provide us with a wonderful example of how we can use the resources in our communities to improve things for our children. You can listen to our other episodes on Apple podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts. And we always appreciate your reviews and ratings. If you're so inclined, if you have show ideas or a question for us, email us at allautismtalk@learnbehavioral.com or find us on Instagram or Facebook at, at @autismtherapies. Thanks for tuning in. See you next time. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of All Autism Talk. This podcast is brought to you by Learn Behavioral, the leading network of providers serving children with autism and other special needs. Visit us at learnbehavioral.com. Listen to previous episodes at allautismtalk.com, on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All Autism Talk, connecting the autism community one podcast at a time.